I hear two guys talking. I love the talking guy show. I hear two guys talking. 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 Let me tell you of the two guys talking Terminator podcast. Historians from England will say that I am a liar. But history is written by those who have hanged heroes. Join the noble duo as they dialogue the weekly adventures of Sarah and John Connor as they fight to avoid the inevitable Judgment Day and defeat the evil hordes from Skynet. It's legend, it's random, and it's only from Two Guys Talking. Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show providing you with entertainment, a sharing of viewpoints, and fun. Join us as we venture into the world of entertainment and discuss a variety of topics, from television shows, DVDs, feature films, and more. This week, Two Guys Talking. It's a big, bad, green review from the Two Guys Talking podcast. It's time for the Two Guys Talking review of the feature film, The Incredible Hulk, only on the Two Guys Talking podcast. Thanks for joining us, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm Tony Lavasco, another host. And I'm Kip Lewis, guest host. And welcome to everybody here, especially Kip. Kip, you probably haven't heard of, but you might have read before. Kip is currently a Caption Hunt columnist on the Two Guys Talking Television Review blogs. He also is an avid comic book fan, and so we invited him in to the Incredible Hulk Review. Thanks for coming on, Kip. This is, uh, this is a really important movie, especially because this year in general... It really is the year of comic book movies. If it's not this one, it's Iron Man, which we also have reviewed. In addition to The Dark Knight, July 11th, and what else? What else is coming out this year? Wanted came out this weekend. Wanted? Uh, and that was a graphic novel, was it not? No, series called Wanted. Really? Yeah. That was just a regular comic book? Yeah. Uh, and who did that? Was that Marvel, DC, um, Dark Horse? It's an independent company. It's independent. I don't remember the company, but the writer's Mark Miller. Was that's very interesting, especially in a world that's dominated by what is the two major, major yeah. comic book companies. Hellboy comes out next Hellboy, weekend, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a major league graphic novel slash comic book that uh, the first movie was outstanding. It made a killing in the box office. And uh, I really like Ron Perlman in that role. I think that if there was a custom-made guy that <laughs> plays Hellboy, it's definitely Ron Perlman. Yeah. Well, Punisher War Journal comes oh, yeah. out. Punisher, late, yeah. I think September. With a completely new cast. Uh, Punisher's been recast. Like Hulk. Yeah, yeah. Very very exciting. In any case, it's a, definitely a year for comic book movies. Definitely a year for comic book movie reviews here at the Two Guys Talking Podcast Review of The Incredible Hulk. Sponsored wonderfully by Sprint's Relay Missouri, Acoustica's Mixcraft 4 multi-track recording software, and Ability Interpreting. The Two Guys Talking <laughs> The Hype. So box office totals. This is astonishing. It started off with the first week on Father's Day of $56.7 million. That is an ass load of cash. That is amazing. <laughs> What's even more amazing is that in the second week, Kip? It was about $21, $22 million. Right. It dropped more than 50%, which, again, is... I really do think that the paradigm of movies inside of what is Hollywood and the box office in general, because there's so many movies coming out, is to open up huge... And then almost completely die off. Well, and more than that, I, I think that the the shock of those large numbers is totally lost anymore. When yeah, I heard when I heard yeah. that number, it's like, oh, that's a lot of money compared to what I make. <laughs> but then when you think of, all right, how much money that, that is costing to make the film, yeah. the producing, the effects, obviously all the 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 advertising, etc. I wonder how much money they actually have to rake in before they break even. Yeah. And yeah. I we don't have those figures, but. Uh, I don't either. But I, I, it's kind of hard to compare one movie to another as far as those box office numbers and have any idea as to the success anymore. Yeah. I, I, what I think is also missing completely is there never is a number that's associated with the movie unless, of course, it breaks new grounds like it's the most expensive movie of all time. There isn't a real place you can go and see, okay, Incredible Hulk, Dash, Dollar Sign, Cost to Make, Insert Number, what it made back in the first three weeks, uh, Potential for, for Sequel. A giant plus sign. Right, merchandising, et cetera, et cetera. Right. right. There is no place to go and get those numbers, and I really, really wish there was. Plus, they're not really a perfect comparison because movies don't open in the same number of theaters. For yeah. So you have not one movie well opening in a smaller number of theaters, which may make more money 
if you can, you know, if you oh, adjust I, for those things. That, yeah, that's a great point, especially <laughs> something like Wanted that's going to open up. It's completely unrelated to any major comic book studio. What kind of opportunity does that type of film or that film have against what is something like The Incredible Hulk? Well, that's why you advertise the Angelo Jolene <laughs> all oh, the time. Oh, yeah, good point. Well, <laughs> and, and I guess it also kind of comes down to budget, too. When you look at what is very successful movies that didn't make that much actual cash... Well, maybe a lot of it is due to them not spending as much either, and their profit yeah. is higher, even though they didn't pull in as much money. Yeah. I yeah. mean, well, you never know well, any of that. What, what about actual hype? Let's back up a little bit. Let's go back a couple of years when we knew that this movie was going to get made after what was the Ang Lee movie, which, by the way, we're going to be doing a comparison at the end of this review. This is also a reminder to everybody that's listening to this review, The Incredible Hulk, this will be a spoiler-ridden review. If you have not seen The Incredible Hulk, starring Ed Norton and company, you need to make sure you do not listen to this or expect to be spoiled and then go watch it. But please do not use the contact form at our website to let us know that we spoiled the movie for you because you have been warned. Hulk dies, Hulk dies. Oh, no. <laughs> what movie did you see? That <laughs> wasn't in the movie I saw. Yeah. Hype, let's go back a couple of years. I can remember vividly when I heard the, the little whispers of recasting the entire film. I was kind of flabbergasted because, well, I definitely did not, if I had to pull some, a DVD movie out of my collection and sit down and watch it again, the Hulk, the Hulk Ang Lee film would not be one of them. Now, the Hulk Ang Lee movie would be more like I sit there for about three, about two or three scenes, watch them, and then go away. Because there's only like two or three scenes I like watching. Yeah. But the whole movie as a whole. The the, the last time I uh, we'll get into again we'll get into comparison when we when we actually get there. Uh, I, for the record, I have not seen the first Hulk movie, so I'm coming Which is in good. just Which is seeing good, this yeah. movie. But uh, speaking of having seen other movies that have been recast before for a sequel or reboot or whatever, I think I like it better when they recast everyone as opposed to recast the principal stars oh, and then yeah. having one or two characters come back as the same actor. I because totally it makes it hard to accept that this is a totally different franchise if you're starting to see Judy Dash come back as M yeah. when every other character in the James Bond movie is different, yeah. etc. Admittingly, uh, that was a little different, but even uh, but still... But it was good. I'm glad that they kept it Judy Dash. Well. It worked well. It worked well. But in most, most cases, recasting everyone is probably easier for everyone to accept than just one or two individuals. Yeah. Especially when, in this particular case... This isn't like Spider-Man and the X-Men, which is, it's a sequel. This is an actually, let's forget the first movie and right, start all over again. Because It's like grabbing another book by another author. Right. Like the Tom Clancy movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I had so. But I had seen some people in some of the blogs where like, this was the sequel to the Yang Lee movie, and then somebody's like, no, this is not a sequel. That's why it doesn't flow from one movie to the next movie. Yeah, that's very well said. And again, for those that are curious, the, the origin story of what is Hulk in this film is completely different than the previous one. And we'll talk more about the differences between the two movies in our comparison section that we're going to have at the end of this review. Incidentally, I didn't notice in any of the trailers, any of the commercials, anything, any reference uh, as to whether this was a reboot or a sequel. You kind of uh, go into it not that. knowing until the I movie think, starts. I think that's totally I, intentional. Well, was I that, that, you think? Yeah, yeah I, I think that's totally intentional. They just ignored the f- existence of the first movie. It just... It didn't happen. We don't see it. Uh, it's not. But I wonder how many people walked into the theater figuring it was going to be a direct sequel, and then, oh, wait, it's not. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question, and actually, that's a first call to the audience. Hey! We'd like you to contact us at our website, twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Click on the contact button on the top right-hand side of the webpage and let us know what you think. Did you know that it was not a sequel, but rather a brand-new movie with a brand-new cast? Let us know what you think. The Two Guys Talking. Incredible <laughs> <laughs> The good. All right, let's get straight out and get to what is really, really great about this movie. One, the acting and the casting across the board I thought was excellent. Casting Ed Norton as what is this giant green behemoth I thought was genius. Not only because he's a great actor, but because he exemplifies what is kind of Bruce Banner. He is this uh, geek very slight, and Ed Norton, uh, that they, as they showed him, was incredibly slight. The incredibly slight Ed Norton. I mean, he was uh, very, very small, especially when he had like a ball cap or a bag or something on. He looked very, very small. Yeah. And so when you see that in comparison to what is this, you know, in what looked like many cases, almost a three-story tall creature, it really 
hammered the point home that there is a lot of change going on here, and I like that. I thought that was good. Yeah, that was actually, um, talking, you know, we're going to talk later about the comparisons between the two movies. That was yeah. one of the biggest complaints I heard about Bruce. Oh. The, the actor who played Banner in the first movie, Eric Banner playing yeah. Bruce Banner, mm-hmm. that he was too big. He was muscular. He was too fit. He was more Captain America than he was the scrawny little Bruce no, He was Brenner. definitely more fit, which uh, I, I'm trying to remember back. Fight Club is another one of my favorite films. That is one of those ones where I would just put in and watch it or listen to it. And uh, even when he was fight fit, you go back and you look at that movie and he really was small. He was never, he was, he was definitely not fat, but he's slight. He is just a slight man. And it really, really pays off in this film. Rest of the cast, though, um, casting Liv Tyler as Betty. I, I could stand her. I could stand her in this movie. Most of the time, Liv Tyler, she throws up the shields for me. I really, I don't know if it's usually the the wispy lilting she has when she speaks, but a lot of that got gone in this film, and I don't know if it's because she was screaming most of the time or just they wrote the character differently and because she had a child, she acts differently. I don't know, but I didn't mind her in this film where I usually do not like her. I've heard of her, but... She's I... been in a, her father's music videos. <laughs> I think part is that maybe what goes along with this is she was cast to play a girlfriend. Yeah. It wasn't well the thing said. she... Well, and as, as and... well as a, a colleague... In fact, I almost get more colleague, especially after they meet and they don't necessarily jump on each other. The the, the colleagueness was, I think, more showcased, which I thought was good. I think making that assertion is way more important than girlfriend boyfriend. I thought the insertion of what was the pseudo boyfriend that she had moved on to, that was great. Because it gives perspective of the character. The character moves on after however many years Bruce Banner's been gone. It's time to move on, and she does. Although that totally changes when he comes back. One of the things I really liked about this movie was the insertion of what is otherwise meaningless characters just to show, for lack of a better term, humanity of of the story in general. Uh, Honestly, even though she was a main character, I think uh, Liv Tyler's character was very much a meaningless character. Nothing she did really advanced the plot at all. She was just kind of tagging along. But her presence showed what was Ed Norton and his struggle and all that in a much more believable way than if it was just him running by himself. And we see several characters in the beginning of the movie, the people that he works with at the plant. We see what are uh, what is the general, who is a very flat character in general. And I think all of them were used very well because I watched this movie and I kept expecting Liv Tyler or the 10-minute-long girlfriend from the plant or the, the guy that was antagonizing the plant or any of those people to come back at the last minute and be really important to the plot for some reason and none of them were. And I thought that worked out really well, that they all just kind of came, they did their thing, and then they left. Yeah. And uh, I, I, that was I, I a very to- good thing about this I movie. totally agree with that. And I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction with uh, what was William Hurt's character in this, The General. The General, for me, from, uh, again, we'll get into comparisons later, but from the very first Ang Lee Hulk film, that was the epitome of what General Thunderbolt Ross looked like. I got lots of this after we got into know the character and he began speaking, and you get to see that little sliver of evil, almost, that's inside of Thunderbolt Ross inside of this film. Where you didn't really get that. He was just kind of pissed off in the previous film. And I like that. I like that they made him almost an antagonist inside of this film. It pays off. It, you can personify what is the other side with this guy. And I, I really appreciated that. I also appreciated his work. I thought that being able to see the spectrum of acting that he gave from the beginning all the way to the end of this film, I thought was really, really valuable. Well, see, to me, he I, that's probably one of the points, because going from the comic books... He doesn't look like General Ross, but I don't no, know if General not Ross... Not this one, the one that was in Ang Lee's film. Though. Actually, was... either one, because General Ross in the comic books is probably something that real generals don't look like. He's fat. He's a he's a big bellied or a large guy. Yeah. And to me, neither one physically conveys the presence, but I do think Hurt personality may convey a little more better the comic book version, though... He was a little less caring about his daughter than the comic book one is. Comic comic book General Ross, his daughter is a priority. This one, his daughter was... Something else in his life that is after on a giant priority list yeah. of many other he things. He had to think about not running over with a tank. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, all of the other casting I was very happy with. There was there was no one character inside of this film where I went, boy, why in the hell did they cast this guy? There were some characters I thought that probably didn't belong. The mystery doctor that was inserted for insertion's sake. What, what was his name, Kip? We... Samuel. Samuel, thus and such. 
We'll call him Bob Dole. Dr. Bob Dole. Actually, is it Samuel Stearns? <laughs> Stearns, that's it. Yeah. Stearns, I thought, was kind of throwaway, but it appears that there's more that uh, more than meets the eye that for that character in the future, and so I'm willing to forgive that one. That one, he was the only character in the movie that I thought really just, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure why he was there. I do know that the boyfriend character that you're talking about is actually considered probably one of the throwaway characters that they're actually throwing away. Original intention, if you looked when they originally put it, that was supposed to be Dr. Leonard Sampson, the guy who becomes another gamma creation with the long green hair, super strong Doc Sampson. But after casting the role mm. and after they did the whole scenes with it, they decided they didn't like him for the role. So they basically eliminated all the stuff that referenced him as Dr. Sampson, even from the um, credits. But originally he was supposed to be Doc's, um, Dr. Leonard Sampson, who would eventually become, possibly become Doc Sampson, another gamma-irradiated being. Oh, very interesting. And it's funny that you mentioned that he would be something else inside of the Marvel Universe. That gets us on to our next point. The two guys talking. Easter eggs. Tony? Ob- absolutely obscure one. Not really counting, but I enjoyed it, which was the... Uh, Banners referring to himself as Mr. Green, talking to <laughs> Mr. The, doc- Blue. the doctor, Mr. Blue, and guess who plays what is the English guy who becomes the abomination was the character from Reservoir Dogs was Mr. Orange. That's the same actor. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's a cricket sound that will make its way into there somehow. You've seen Reservoir Dogs, yes? I have. Okay. Understood. Very well. I enjoyed yeah, however, that. However, okay. that's not the actual Easter egg. <laughs> Mr. Blue, Mr. Green was a little running gag in the Bruce Jones written versions of the Hulk where he was talking online to somebody called Mr. Blue. He did not know who he was, who Mr. Blue was for a while, but he was doing the same thing, corresponding back and forth in the comics. Though I think... Didn't it turn out to be Mr. Fantastic, though? No, actually, I think it turned out to be Betty. Really? Mm. But I'm not positive on that. Which is okay. kind of what I thought they were going with with the movie and... Yeah. That kind of, I'm glad they didn't do that. That so would have been I. so incredibly predictable. Yippy skippy. No, yeah. not even predictable, but just kind of, you know, mm. vanilla cookie. Yeah. Who gives a shit? Some of the Easter eggs that I loved were the ones that pulled out of the old TV series. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the beginning. When they throw him, when they have the group of um, thugs from the bottling plant decide to beat up on him, they toss him into the shadows just like they happened in every episode. Every single episode of the television. And all of a sudden, you'd see the shadows only showing Banner's eyes. Green. Yeah, and I think they even frame many of the frames so that it would look exactly like... In fact, I thought they just ripped a, a frame from one of the television series and inserted there and then they put a, on, that on top of uh, Ed Norton's face. I thought it was perfect. It was really good. Then the when he well, they had the scene where he lost everything and he's walking through that town in Brazil. Brazil. Oh, no, it wasn't the, Brazil. The Hulk music plays? The, the yeah. series that music awesome. played the piano. <laughs> awesome, that yeah. was awesome. That's good. And then even the university that they go to Culver University where Betty works where he used to work where the experiment took place is in the original TV series it was the Culver Institute where he got his you know where he bombarded himself with the gamma rays and actually the machine they used I was in just going to say the machine the one that they use in the, in the movie is almost exactly the same as the one that they had in the right. series for just that brief instant and then of course in the original uh, pilot of that of that series it was in there but I mean, it was almost exactly the same. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate those throw-throughs. That really helps me. I didn't realize until I looked it up online. But apparently, the actor who played the original Incredible Hulk, which we all know was uh, yeah, the security Lou, guard, Lou Ferrigno, yeah. also did the voice of the Hulk. Yeah, he and did the voice. The, yeah. all the, not yeah, that, that there was, was a lot of lines, but even still, I right. think it was a good. Touch. You know that he was in the film, also. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And he's been did, in both actually. Right. As a security guard in yeah. both. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have a little Bill Bixby clip by throwing in he was what Courtney Vetti's father. Courtney father. Yeah. Uh, there was the, we talked about this briefly earlier, was the serum that was used in English Guy Who Becomes the Abomination that the general gives him. Mm-hmm. It was implied by opening up the canisters, et cetera, et cetera, that that was the serum that created Captain America way back when. In the or World a War serum deri- that they're trying to right. duplicate it. Of course, these are something that they're trying to th- you know seed in because they're building these movies to all come together right. into a final Avengers movie. Which I've heard a lot of people bitch about. The, uh, the that and the the cameos that inevitably appear. Of course, we're going to see uh, a Stan Lee in this one. He appears. We see Lou Ferrigno because he was the Hulk in the films. I know a lot of people that are kind of they're kind of done with cameos. It's funny hmm. a couple of times, but 
in every single film all the time. Mm. As long as it's small like this. Yeah. Although this is probably the biggest cameo in general with Stan Lee because his involvement actually changes the story. They wouldn't <laughs> have found the Hulk if he hadn't drunk the yeah. weird juice or whatever it was. Yeah. But no, I think what is the end with Tony Stark and how they are obviously tying this together with uh, the Avengers movie when this eventually happens. I think that's a good thing. I would rather see more of that where movies will stand alone as their own movies but can still be considered part of the series rather than do the incredibly been done, let's have a trilogy or a quadrilogy or whatever where everything is to be continued and no movie will stand by itself. I don't want to go back to what Uh, was the Matrix trilogy again. And I think that works because you have a vision of what in general are comic book movies where it's, it's a literal, especially when it's a Marvel movie, it's a genre inside of its own genre. Right. And I think that the people that don't want to see cameos are done with them. Oh, Stan Lee. Oh, Lou Ferrigno again. I think that those people are not realizing what is the the fishnet that holds all of Marvel together. Those little giant signatories inside of the inside of the movies I think are good. They bring together more of the mold you're talking about than not. And they're not grouping those movies together, I don't think. And also with this, this is the second Marvel movie, as in from Marvel Studios not being done outside. So this is one of the reasons why they can start pulling things together because it's all being shared license, shared agreements. So this way they can do it all where they really can't reference Spider-Man or X-Men or like Daredevil couldn't reference um, the Daily Bugle because different studios, different license, all those things, you know, get in the way but this is now where they're actually starting to build their movie universe like their comic book universe yeah. where they which is how it's always it. should have been yeah and that that was one of my biggest complaints about a lot of the the comic book movies that we've seen in the last five or six years is that they've all been they've all been movies that happen to be about comic book characters as opposed to what we've seen here with the incredible hulk and with iron man has been let's make a movie about the story of this comic and i think i i would much rather see that then let's grab some names and costumes of something we created, you know, three decades ago and slap a big movie picture on it. The two guys talking. More human. Pathos. This is all over the place. In fact, you just referenced it when they have the the lilt piano playing from what was the previous television series, and then they show Bruce Banner kind of sleeping off his Hulkness in the street with his hands cupped, and you know the little kid drops and changes <laughs> changing his hand. Photos like that that you can see Ed Norton expressing how incredibly human and frail Bruce Banner is compared to this giant hulking creature. That is very well showcased inside of this film that I don't think it was previously. Actually, going along with that is Liv Tyler or Betty and the Hulk. When they go off, when he takes her away, takes her out into uh, Uh, the 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 King Kong moment. Yeah, Yeah, the King Kong moment when he was in the cave. Very humanizing element for the Hulk. Yeah, because the Hulk wasn't a raging brute there. He was the big child, which is the other aspect of the Incredible Hulk is that he's a childlike mentality. And you saw that. There, you saw that human touch, I think, with that scene. I think one of the things that made this movie more human than some of the other superhero movies that we've seen has been that Bruce Banner doesn't want to be the Hulk. It's not he wants to learn how to control his powers to do good or figure out a way that he can transform at will or whatever. It's he wants it gone. The whole movie is him trying to get away from it, both literally running away from the military and physically trying to figure out how to cure himself. And I think that really works, especially towards the end where he's forced to literally do what he does not want to do and he's been trying to avoid all this time which is to transform and become the Hulk and and I think that really works to the storyline quite a bit more than simply somebody makes him mad and he attacks them. Yeah, well it's it's unique among things is that he's one of the few superheroes that doesn't want to be, that power is not necessarily something desirable that it comes with a cost and this is probably one of the biggest ones for showing you what the cost is. When it's not so much like, say, the Spider-Man movies where we see Peter Parker whining about little stuff that he could easily change. <laughs> you know, True. here we've got a guy with a legitimate thing that's way beyond his control. And, and I think that's much more humanizing and sympathetic than Spider-Man giving up his girlfriend because he's too stupid to uh, with, not tell people who he is. <laughs> with, a little, with a little bit of caveat there, understanding what is the character, and actually Spider-Man is one of my most favorite characters ever, understanding what is the character of Spider-Man, there's a lot of that in him. And the the piling on of what is environmental problems on the back of Peter Parker and him then being whining because of that, that is a piece of the comic book. Yeah, the, it the, is. the difference is that 
inside the comic book, it's pulled off and it, it, it elicits pathos to the character because you're like, God damn, Peter Parker can never catch a break. What you don't get in the films, and I like the films, what you don't get in the films is the repulsing effect of what is Tobey Maguire. I, there are many times where I think Tobey Maguire shines in those films, but the, the piece of him whining is totally different in the comic book as I'll, to I'll agree with what that, happens yeah. inside of the movie. I think one of the reasons is, is one of the difference between movies to print is comic books in novels can go into the head of the character. Yeah, agreed. And agreed. that's where a lot of Spider-Man's Peter Parker's whining takes place in the comic books. But in order to do it in a movie, you have to do it out loud or do it visually. And it comes across perhaps even more that's, than it would in the... That's what was so great about that 60, 1967 series that I had seen many, many times in, uh, as it was played again in syndication that I'd seen many times in syndication is that they actually had Spider-Man talking to himself. And yeah. that was exactly what was missing <laughs> yeah. huge inside of the movies. If you could actually hear what he was trying to drum up and then you would see him do something in the movies, I think that that would be a whole lot better played. And it just, they didn't do it that way. Well, and going back to the Hulk here, I think the, the, the good comparison always that I have is Hulk, Bruce Banner, Hulk, whatever, doesn't ever whine. He broods. He kind of feels sorry brooding. for himself. Yeah, yeah, brooding is another great word for this film. you feel bad for him because he's not just thrusting on anybody who'll listen about how worthless his life is. In fact, he goes out of his way to not even go into that. I'm going to be over myself. I'm going to hide in a shack now so I don't hurt anybody. And I think that's much more endearing, to use your word, yeah. than somebody who complains over dinner with their aunt. That's where I think Ed Norton probably shines. Because yeah, totally. you could have another actor could have done the exact same scene and come across as a whiny person. Yeah. Especially for somebody would have been really easy. Yeah. Especially for somebody who is physically being portrayed as tiny. A small yeah, person very much so. whiny. You don't you could very easily become Woody Allen. Yeah. There's uh there's determination really inside of what I think is Ed Norton's character here to to really be rid of what is a giant problem in his life. And that's what I think is missing in many comic book movies where they don't necessarily want to take the hero mantle and that you want to get rid of something. And I, I think that's missing a lot. It was missing in X-Men. It was oh, yes. definitely missing in X-Men where, except for the last film where they say you can get rid of your powers. Yeah, asterisk. But the previous films inside of even uh, X-Men 2, which is one of my favorite comic book films, a lot of the, I have this and I don't want it. That, but, that, you know, might as well slash something. Yeah. Right. And there was a lot of, yeah, there was a disconnect between There the, was a reason to showcase powers where there wasn't a reason to use your powers because, well, you really don't want these powers, but you have them and so use them for something. That that, right. that line of thinking is missing in almost every comic book movie. Yeah, they could have done it with Rogue because that character Rogue, is... Yeah. Rogue is the whiny one that wants to get rid of her powers because she wants to be more human, absolutely. Yeah, they could have, but they could have done They need better. to do it. Yeah, they need to do it better inside yeah. of... If they ever do another X-Men film, which I don't foresee, they really need to do something like that better. The two guys talking... Foreign language experience. Now, I know that I always just bring this up in movies because I'm an ex-interpreter. But I'll tell you what, I love it when, in this film, it happened to be Brazil. The Brazil experience is outstanding because I know no Portuguese. Likewise. And so having the, the what were the subtitles on the bottom is outstanding. But just that, that atmospheric dropping you into something completely alien and then understanding what's being said because you're reading it on the screen, that for me provides what is a real sense of satisfaction in that they've paid off a completely alien area. When you look at that grand city inside of Brazil, wherever they were, where it's all just stacks of tents and clotheslines and bullshit, and then you add on what is a, a completely alien language, I love that because it immerses me. And immersion therapy is what I need inside of movies. I, I didn't really appreciate that so much until recently, because uh, there's a lot of movies that do that fairly well, yeah. I, and you've commented on them. Yeah. Uh, but it's a more recent thing. And uh, a few weeks back, I started watching what were the old MacGyver yeah. shows yeah and i had to laugh at the number of episodes in which macgyver is fighting insert miscellaneous foreign bad guy in which all the bad guys are not only speaking english but they're not even speaking english with an accent right and there's absolutely no way that you would tell that they're currently in a foreign country except for that there's like a little subtitle at the bottom that says they're now in india yeah yeah <laughs> and, and, and going really from missing. that to something like yeah. this it, it really is uh, amazing how much 20 years can change yeah. and how, how that's we have with. a lot about that inside of our iron man review as well and it really is valid it, 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 it it's a total additional ingredient inside of a movie that 
totally benefits it for me. I know there's a lot of people that hate reading movies, quote unquote, but I'm telling you the the little piece of secret knowledge that you're delivered from what is subtitles inside of a movie, especially like one like like The Incredible Hulk, is invaluable. It really is. The two guys talking. The final super fight. You guys understand Hulk is probably my number two favorite character. In Who's your first one? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. I would probably okay. say Spider-Man's first, Hulk is second. Gotcha. And one of the things that have always sort of disappointed me in a lot of superhero movies is the final fight scene. Yeah. Because a lot of times um, we saw in the last, in let's see, even though I liked it and thought it was good, in the first Spider-Man movie, Green Goblin gets killed by his own um, glider. glider. Mm-hmm. Second movie, Doc Ock drowns. Yep. Third movie. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty dumb. Yeah. Third movie, Venom actually got took down by Spider-Man. But Sandman, he lets go, which is a totally different debate that we can talk about some other time. Um, <laughs> which, by the way, you can listen to our Spider-Man 3 review. That's pretty hot topic. It's good stuff. Yeah. X-Men, you have... Um, well, those are pretty good fight scenes. Iron Man... Um, Weak. Yeah, because of the he First off, Iron Man gets really knocked out before the fight even begins, so he's fighting with half his armor, I mean, half his power level. Then he basically wins only because he's got a really good radio, and Piper happens to, you know, his girlfriend happens to be there, so she can rig things up to blow up, you know, to kill the bad guy. And I've always been disappointed is that they don't have a real, honest to goodness, superhero versus supervillain, knockdown, drag out fight to the bitter end. And Hulk does that. Hulk has a bitter fight, though it could have been longer, but had a big, a bitter fight where Hulk actually knocks out the bad guy. And he doesn't kill him. He almost kills him. That's the other thing they have is they pretty much kill all the villains up to now. Hulk leaves Abomination alive, which is another thing I liked on the fight. The two guys talking. Special effects. Now, once again, whichever of the many special effects houses was really working overtime to get this done, uh, I liked all of the destruction effects. There was nothing I saw destruction-wise that I didn't like. I liked all of the changing, uh, all the changing effects. I thought were very, very well done. I'm not one of the picky people when it comes to special effects. I can lose myself in the, mo- you know, lose myself in the picture. I lost myself in Scooby Doo and accepted the fact that there was oh. a dog. <laughs> So therefore, I am not... Thank you for blanket deleting the venerability of what is this podcast by mentioning the word Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. I appreciate Want that. Want to compare it to Alien vs. Predator Requiem maybe while we're here? Oh. <laughs> so, One of Mike's all-time favorite time. Yeah. So I saying, but where I was going with it was I didn't get knocked out of the thing by any of the special effects. I was just, I'm not picky, so to me it was smooth and I didn't have... you know It was... Yes. No, nothing I saw was... Looking at the monkey that has the same haircut as you, and then swinging through the vines. Yes, that there was nothing in the <laughs> in this movie at all that got there. But there are some detractors that we'll get to in just a minute. And as with anything in life, when you finish with the goods, there's also the bad. Two guys talking. Smash! The effects. Now, just for the sake of expediency and linear storytelling, we're going to talk about the bad effects. I did not buy the Hulk at all. Yeah, he he definitely Uh, went from what was 8 foot tall to 15 foot tall to 10 foot to... that that entire I, I didn't even so much have that. What I what I and I what I really liked is when you didn't see full fledged Hulk not in the in the shining yes. sun. That was really well done. We'll get to the comparisons later on. But I what I saw was fantastic. It, it's it's one of those things where I'm watching the rest Incredible? of the in. <laughs> not even that. The I was I I was drawn out of what was the story because of what I saw. There were many of him where he was, where he was gritting his teeth and I, okay, good. But the rest of the time when he's moving or whenever I, this, this area, his, uh, the top of his chest is what I always looked at when I saw the Hulk. And when I look at it, it just doesn't look real. You know, there's a, there's a, you can, everybody can close their eyes and go, okay, I can envision the Hulk. And that's not what I envision. What, what I find interesting about effects in these large, big-budget movies, and this was a good example of where you see a lot of well-lit Hulk moving yeah. slowly throughout an open area where it should be real crisp. And it's amazing when you go back to what is a 
over 10-year-old movie, I guess now, uh, of the original Jurassic Park and the dinosaurs and how real they looked with what is a decade-old technology. Why aren't we seeing that type of thing applied with the Hulk? Hulk looked good. But it didn't look great. Right. You could see the wireframe underneath it being painted with the little polygons. And no matter how they cut it, it always you always knew that in the back of your head. Except, as you mentioned in the beginning, where you don't see a direct shot of him. Which they could have probably framed that last fight, fight scene, like they did with Transformers, where there's lots of quick cuts and explosions, and you didn't really focus on any of it. But it was a lot of very slow, this shot's going to last for a couple seconds... And you saw that that was the, not the Hulk. The only other thing I can think of, and it's there's a caveat because we've had what is a previous Hulk film, is that dinosaurs, if, if I ask everybody to close your eyes and imagine a dinosaur, you're probably thinking Tyrannosaurus Rex or the Triceratops or the, bro, uh, the uh, Brontosaurus, one of those three. And when you conjure that picture, you can now instantly gravitate to now what is Jurassic Park. And you go, my God, look at that dinosaur running around. I can't believe it. Look at that. Look at that guy getting eaten by a dinosaur. The same thing cannot happen with the Hulk because you've never been in a museum where, oh, look, there's the Hulk. <laughs> you, you will get again to this into the comparisons. The previous Hulk film I thought had better effects. I thought I totally bought the Hulk in the previous film. One of the things that I caught that I was, you know, one of those things people discussing online, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. Shovel. Okay. Like you said, the Hulk. No, there's not in the museum. Um, this Hulk compared to the original Hulk. I think the original, the first Hulk was a little bit more the traditional style, where this one, I think they borrowed a little more from the Dale Keown drawings of the Hulk, which is a little bit more, no, just different, where he's less um, square and maybe more of a triangle or more rectangular. So there's I can see that more Frankenstein. I saw more Frankenstein in this than I saw anything. Yeah, and it might have been because he wasn't. He was not the Technicolor Crayola green like he was in the previous film. But the, the, again, when I close my eyes, the Hulk I consider is the one from the Ang Lee film without question. Well, I don't know that it's even the shape so much as the texture. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. it. There's skin on the one inside of the Ang right. Lee film, which you've seen because you've as seen posters to this and whatever else. Was like a rubberized something. Yes. <laughs> this was a this was a bad suit on a really weird looking guy. That yeah. that that's what this turned into me into for me. And thankfully, the story and the action and the the consideration of what was Bruce Banner got me through this film. It's I didn't hate this film at all, but the detractor in this movie easily is when I can see full bore sun shots of what is the Hulk. Like I said, that didn't bother me. Oh, shut up and be a guest host. (laughs) (laughs) Two guys talking smash! Overall plot. Yes, those are crickets you hear because... There wasn't It was thin. It was thin. (laughs) And I think intentionally it was thin. I think that they wanted to use what is the uh, acting skill of Ed Norton and the supporting cast and what was the special effects to push this movie. Hence, story does not need to be there, quote-unquote. I really do believe that. I think where the movie did fail with the story, it was too much story, which is I can usually accept a very complicated movie with lots of plot twists, or I can accept a very simple movie. And give us a sample of that. Well, uh, uh, okay, anyone who's seen, say, Arlington Road. Where you have a big build-up, you've got lots of characters, and then, oh, a big end, a surprise, and oh my god, it all comes together. This, on the other hand, starts out with basically a really, really, really simple story. Hulk, Bruce Banner, is running away from the military who wants to capture him and do experiments. He wants to get away, you cheer for him to get away, meanwhile, military chases him. I think that would have been a better story. But by bringing in what is the abomination to bring the uh, character development of Bruce Banner becoming a hero and all of that... I don't think it really worked in the same way that the similar story worked with Iron Man, where you see Tony Stark becoming Iron Man and grasping his responsibility to society. Okay, so hold on. Follow me a second. Kip is, uh, in his own admittance, number two on his list of all-time favorite characters, Hulk. Kip, as Super Hulk fan, had you seen that movie and not had what is the Abomination slash... By the way, I don't think anybody knows that he was called the Abomination. Just mm. yeah, that's true, they, they mentioned it once, but not right. by name. It was right just, to say, "Oh, look, the abominations running across our screen." It was nothing like that. Right. Anyway, if that if that fight had not existed, thumbs up or thumbs down for this film? It would have been a major disappointment. Really, I think the fact of the matter and is that's why is, they did it. <laughs> okay. See, I was going to say is I don't think the point of abomination being in there was for to make Banner look like a hero. Absolutely not. I think the point of abomination being in there is basically to show the power. The basically is to show the rage. 
undiluted fight. That is what there's the nobody point. else. Yeah, there's nobody else that Hulk can rail on inside of the film if there's no abomination. Well, and that's kind of what I was getting at, which was I think it would have been an. I don't know if it would have been a better film, but it definitely would have been better for me in the sense of I would have liked to have seen more of what was the university fight where Hulk goes after people in self-defense just because he's trying to get away and the movie would be him trying to evade the military in the same way like a prison break type movie. I think that would have been able to work better and then introduce what is the other characters for a potential sequel where you'd have the big old monster battle. Uh, having it early on in this movie, it, it very much seems like Abomination and the English guy who played the colonel or whatever he was, was introduced for the sole purpose so that they could have a big fight scene at the end. Other than that, it, the whole movie would have been no different. Uh, but it also introduced what is the what was the uh, Captain America serum, the showcase that they've been trying to alter that so that they can get something more towards what is the Hulk rather than... Agree. Well, and you're making my other point, which is that you take what is a very, very simple plot, Hulk running away... And you add these complicated elements that don't really pay off. And it doesn't become the Arlington Road complicated drama plot. It becomes something in between. And I think I would have rather than just pick one direction. Well, I think part of that is some of those things like the Super Soldier Serum and stuff are setting up stages for later movies. So you probably can't answer that in this by itself um, because it's part of a group. But I think what it was is if you had left out the Abomination, you would have had the Hulk TV series. Which was basically yeah. Which I don't have a problem. I was going to say. However, that was pretty much the that was like the number one biggest complaint that I've ever heard. Always have heard about the TV series was Hulk really had nobody to fight against. He had I mean once in a while they they one time introduced a second Hulk like creature where he fought. Even as a kid, that was the one thing I wanted most of all was to see Hulk fight beings that were his match. Always putting him against people, he just basically tossed across the room, and consider. I mean, tossed across the room and knocked him out, and there was really no. And then he would tear off the rest of his shirt, go and do the flexing away, thing, yeah. and run away. Right. Yes, I agree. Well, yeah, you can only do that so many times within a movie and make it work. Of course, right. well, they and did plus, it for four seasons inside of a television show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Plus, the fact of the matter and it is, worked. Is, it was total yeah. success. Plus, the matter is, I think it also no abomination would have made this movie like Superman Returns. Where Superman basically yeah. is fighting against somebody who he can't fight against, so they have to have him do some. The only you know display of power was the airplane lifting, thing, lifting right. up the well, lifting up the island at the end of the oh, movie. Yeah. Well, which, I think to be honest, I to, to me that was one of the biggest disappointments with the Superman movie is you need Superman to go against somebody he can actually fight. Two guys talking smash. <laughs> the final super fight was too short. Not only did I think that the final super fight was too short, I thought that the ending wasn't really an ending. I understand that the Hulk leaves him alive, showcases his uh, human nature that we've talked about inside of the positives with the showcasing of Ed Norton slash Hulk. Yes, I agree with that. But smash his head. Smash the chest. Tear an arm off and beat him with. Something that the fight is definitively over, not the guy laying there unconscious breathing. I'm not up for that. I I think setting my feelings aside about the the fight scene in Abomination, if they were going to do it, it should have been in a grander scheme than this. Yes. And not only so much that it ended in an uncommitted way, but it was very, we need the movie to end now because we're out of time. And the general, for example, just letting him jump out of the plane and become the Hulk and save the day, that could have been completely played as a dramatic moment. I would have liked to have seen the general, no, you must not, we're going to lock you up, we can't risk you getting out again, etc., etc., and Bruce Banner becoming the Hulk and forcing his way out to go save the day. But then you don't Something have the kissy face of Liv Tyler on the parapet of the helicopter I falling that. backwards. Well, That's I'm... also another Easter egg. In Ultimates, which is one of Marvel's lines, they needed Hulk to you know basically do the same thing. There was a major battle going on. They needed Hulk into the battle, and he was something was keeping him from turning back. So what they did, they tossed him out of the helicopter. You see, that would have been better if he didn't want to go, you know, <laughs> yeah. and they just tossed him out, and he's like, oh, crap, I'm pissed because they tossed me out of the helicopter. Hulk! Yeah, that would have been better. Good point. But no, I think the ending, especially with what is unconscious abomination, and the military guy is just like kind of looking around like, oh, yep, he's unconscious there. 
Like, they make no effort to restrain him. You don't see... I, you know, I was expecting him to be hauled out in Hannibal Lecter gear or something, but it just it fades to black and that scene was over. It was... Yeah. I was told Mike yesterday that I read the Hulk novelization. That was actually one of the things they did touch upon in the novelization was that Tony Stark shows up with gear to hold him as a prisoner. That would have been a much better cameo, yeah. And that was the cam because I don't think they did the bar scene cameo. They just did the scene where Tony Stark said when he saw the Hulk scene earlier that got the first time when Hulk was fighting the military, which was shown on TV, which had another Jack McGee, another Easter egg, Jack McGee and Jim Wilson. He says, hmm. And May gave him an idea, so he went and built the gear that would contain something like that. And so he shows up at the end of the movie, or the end of the book, with the restraints to hold the abomination. That would have been a hundred times better, yeah. See, and it's, it's those things, and again, it's another reason why I brought Kip on for this show, is not only is he a devout comic book fan, he's also one that goes through the novelizations and can pluck and pick things like that, that we can, I'm telling you, little inserts like that inside of the movie, you're throwing it over total success. It's total acceptance of what would be something cool. You have the detail for all the geeks that want the detail. You have the details for the people that think it was too expedient, like me, the last fight. I thought it was too quick. It was There was no succinct ending except the dude's knocked out and breathing, and when he wakes up, he's going to be pissed off and kill everybody there. Oh, and good. Hulk took off. Oh, and that's the other half is Hulk leaves, and oh, no one seems all that interested in following him. He just kind of goes where he wants, and all of a sudden, he's in Bolivia, wherever he is at the end of the movie, right. in a shack. And like, th- th- that's what bothers the whole, me. That's- the whole movie was the military hunting him down. They finally catch him. Well, we'll let him out for a few minutes so we can take over our problem. And then, oh, where'd he go? Uh, I don't know, Bill. <laughs> the, the other thing I have to wonder, and I really do believe this because I was able to see Hulk and Iron Man back to back. I went in and I watched Iron Man. Finished out Iron Man, walked into another theater and watched the Hulk. It seems to me that the cameo inside of Hulk of what is Tony Stark was added. I think it was yes. added after the success of what was Iron Man. And I don't have a problem with it. It's fine. But don't insert things for insertion's sake. Put them in and then deliver this gear that Kip is talking about. Reading That totally makes sense. Reading online, apparently that cameo was inserted specifically so that Robert Downey Jr., when he was marketing and doing the promoting for Iron Man, he could also would also have a mention to, to mention yeah. the movie. It was just yeah. cross-promotion. That was uh, it. And I'm a total fan of that. Don't get Which me wrong. Which is fine. But again, like that, but how much cooler would the scene that Kip had mentioned have been totally. and relevant? The whole movie, since I knew there was going to be a cameo, I was waiting for, how are they going to work in Tony Stark? And then, movie's over, and I'm like, oh, I guess that was just a rumor. And then, oh, it could have just been a buys guy. a drink. Oh, great. Well, it could have yeah. been another guy buying a beer, and it wouldn't have made any difference. Right. That's my yeah. point. They could have, even if they didn't want to show the scene. Could have been after the credits. They could, well, no, they could, if they didn't want to show the scene of him bringing in the gear, they could have had him talk about, you know, when they went to the bar... You could have had Ross make a comment about him bringing in yeah. the gear to hold ah, the abomination. Right. Then they would have to pay so, for something. the effects, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Tony Thanks and I have, for the help. Tony or whatever, and I yeah. have talked about this at length inside of what is our Terminator podcast, which you can also see at our podcast network, twoguystalking.com. That's the number twoguystalking.com and uh, at terminatorpodcast.com. Terminator, the Terminator show, Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles, is replete with stuff like that, where the insertion of two or three sentences at most inside of what is the script is going to make something infinitely clearer and more concise and paint a picture leaving it open inside of a comic book is one thing leaving it wide open inside of what is a showcase like a feature film or inside of a television series i think is sketchy at best paint the picture and let us comment on the picture right don't leave it so wide open that we can just kind of guess and doing that on purpose because we have no idea what the next kind of movie is going to be about but we want to oh we're gonna bring spock back okay let's do that i I see a lot of that in in a lot of these movies that they know there's going to be a sequel ahead of time as long as this movie makes x amount of dollars there will be a sequel but we don't know about what so let's leave some breadcrumbs in there that we can kind of pick up off or maybe not the line you talk about one or two lines more would have made things a little bit clearer there was one line that I thought was missing from the movie. Usually Hulk says it, and they could have thrown this in as one of Hulk's lines, but they didn't, and they had nobody commenting it. Even though they demonstrated it, I don't know if anybody, re- how many people were really catching it. The matter Hulk gets, the stronger Hulk gets. He is losing the battle seriously in the beginning. Abomination is stronger than him, bigger than him, and... Is, and it isn't until he sees Betty in danger, when he starts getting really pissed, does he start overwhelming Abomination. You have to read between the lines to realize that it isn't just that he's fighting harder, is he's getting stronger. Yeah, good point. And they could they could have just painted one little line saying something. The angrier he gets, the stronger he gets. And yeah. actually, that's a great segue into what is the last point in this review of The Incredible Hulk. 
two guys talking. The comparison. There are so many comparisons to make inside of what is the first Ang Lee Hulk film and the Incredible Hulk that was Ed Norton's film as the Hulk. It's hard to pick the ones that I think really showcase the best, but the one I will put up dimes and dollars every single time is the Hulk in Ang Lee's film versus the Hulk in this film. The differences between the two are stark, and Tony picked out the perfect word. It's texture. The texture of the Hulk inside of the Ang Lee film is bounds infinitely better than what is inside of this film. And I don't, again, not knowing anything about the technology or the motion capture that was used or whatever both houses used, I don't know what it was. But the first Hulk was the Hulk. See, I would, with the texture thing, in general, some of the things I would say, I mm, go either way. But there was one thing about texture that I thought was better in the second than in the first was one thing I hated and did not like in the first was every time they had him getting shot in the first, it looked to me like he was shooting a waterbed. Uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was like his skin was rippling like it was a, you know, like a thin layer over water. And it's like, I never liked that. I liked the, what they did more for the fight, you know, his skin and the texture, what they did with that in the second movie. There were several. The one thing I liked better on the second than I did it to the first with comparing the Hulks was Ang Lee decided to have Hulk with another ability. So he got taller and taller and taller and taller every time he got madder. That's not something from the comic books. It's just something he decided to throw into the thing. Which I did not like. And that's the only thing that I would throw against what was the the variable nature of what is Hulk inside of this film that they didn't really expound on. But I, again, as well, Kip said, which I think would have been as fine. he gets more angry, he'd have gotten bigger. But it wasn't consistent. Right. Agreed. In this movie, he's really angry and small and then not so angry and big. And right. it's kind of random. Agreed. Agreed. To me, one of the biggest comparison differences, going back to the end of the movie, is the fight scene. The Ang Lee movie has him fighting his father, which I think, to be honest, was being more of a psychological point of view, the fact that he has an abusive father and he's railing against the father and that whole psychological thing that some people like, which I thought was it didn't add to the story. They decided to get his father the powers of absorbing man. And there was a time where he's at the end where you almost think, well, is he going to be turning into another Hulk villain, which was like Zad was a living lightning, you know, living electricity being. And then he has Hulk. Hulk wins the day by overloading his father's, yeah. and he just makes yeah. him pop, you know, like a soap bubble. Yeah. And it was like that's not how you want to have a Hulk beating the bad guy. The, you know, the, the original the original Ang Lee film did this for me. There are many uh, snapshots of what I see as Hulk. Ang Lee's film pulled that off without exception. The problem is that to see the snapshots, I have to close my mind and eyes <laughs> to what is a two and a half hour film. That was the problem with the Ang Lee film. The Hulk running and running from all the helicopters and grabbing the missile and throwing it at a helicopter. All that stuff was stellar. The problem was there was more of the movie than just that. I was watching it the other night to prep for this, and it's 43 minutes into Hulk, the original Hulk film, before we actually even see Hulk. Oh. <laughs> and then and I, I, while I think that might have been a good thing when it first came out, something else drastically would have needed to happen to pay off not seeing Hulk for 45 minutes. And it didn't happen. It was, uh, Kip hit it again, the dark, brooding, in toward itself, psychologicalness of what is Hulk. I don't really care. He got hit by a gamma bomb. When he gets pissed off, he turns into this big thing and smashes shit. Period. Well, and what I, else does there need well, to be? Really, one of the best scenes in this movie, and even I didn't care for the fight scene, I think the, just the ending of it with the, <laughs> any any last words? Hulk smash. Yeah. As yeah. Hulk's really only dialogue in the movie yeah. was Hulk smash. Yeah. I think that was great. Yeah. Other comparisons, uh, the Bruce Banner comparison is perfect. Again, I loved Ed Norton as Bruce Banner. He was very slight. He was put together well to be what is Bruce Banner, this techno geek that wants to advance the world with his knowledge. On the other hand, Eric Bana was ripped. I mean, the guy looked like he was an aerobic instructor inside of what was the Hulk. The other thing they pulled off inside of this one, the stretchy pants. How <laughs> stupid and easy is the stretchy pants? Yeah. And they pulled it off inside of this film where they didn't pull it off inside of the Yang Lee film. Another Easter egg. Pulling up the yeah, purple the pants. Purple pants. Yeah, yeah, I and he going, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. I thought that that was valuable. There um, was actually humor in this movie. Yeah. And I and don't it remember. it was funny because it was stupid. It was funny because it was meant to be funny. Right. And it was real life kind of humor. It was, you know, like the thing, you know, wife pulls up purple pants, says, 
but they look good. They stretch. And husband's like, not in a million years. Yeah, yeah. It's real life humor. I don't remember any humor in the Ang Lee movie. No, and, and nothing that was meant to be humor. Lou Ferrigno's uh, cameo appearance inside of the first Hulk was funny because, boy, look at the guy that's out of work and he's reappearing back in the cameo of the Hulk. <laughs> and you kind of raise an eyebrow at the end of that and then that's it. There isn't any... Ha <laughs> boy, that was funny. Because none of it was funny. I, uh, Kip hit on it perfectly, though. And actually, ins- I think inside of the Angley film, you did have super creatures, like the dogs. Yes. Which Gamma was- Poodle. Gamma Poodle. <laughs> yeah, I, again, having never Story's seen this done. movie, the moment I heard that, I gotta say, I really have no desire to see yeah. that first movie. Well, the reason I would tell you to watch is because I want you to see in full frame all of those action scenes that are good. In fact, the fighting of the poodle along with the other two dogs, there is a lot of good in that scene. The problem is that you throw on top of the scene Gamma Poodle and you destroy all of it. To me, the Ang Lee movie, the greatest scenes are when he's in San Francisco. To yeah. me, when he hit the street desert. and hit the street the, the and desert the cars. Scenes. I was never a big fan of the running. I gotta be honest with you, I did not actually like oh, seeing Hulk that. run. I and love except that. for the part where he started the, doing the popping the and bounding. bounding. The bounding is something that was missing from this film, this most recent Hulk. There was a couple of scenes where he jumps, but the bounding, the you know, where he jumps a mile and a half, mm-hmm. that was missing and was in the length uh, Ang Lee film, which I thought was perfect. See, actually, I was thinking that. In the second one, they hinted at the leaping, but didn't show it because he mentioned going from, you know, he goes from Brazil to Guatemala. In like two days. <laughs> and it basically, he just, it's because he's leaping that kind of distance. Because he but wakes up and doesn't know where he is. Right. The thing, they don't show the you know, leaping. Right. And, and they, they, they did in the first one. They did they in the first did one the where first it was one. actually even slow-mo and you can see the wind picking at his cheeks and his skin and everything else. That was really, really cool. And I missed that from this film. The bounding. Uh, the reason I mentioned the bounding is because I bought the uh, the Wii game, the the Incredible Hulk for the Wii, and in there you get to just jump around New York City as much as you want. You can grab onto buildings and climb up the buildings. You can smash whatever you want. You you can bring down buildings. You get to beat up on other superheroes. It's an awesome, awesome game, and that's what I was missing from what was inside of the Incredible Hulk film. The two guys talking. The rating. Well, I have to tell you, I was supremely happy and satisfied with this film. Of the five available stars, I give this one four stars. Tony? I guess I would give it three stars since I'm not allowed to use fractions. <laughs> Otherwise, it would have been three and a half stars. Huh? <laughs> Kiff? Oh, five easily. Five. And is that because it's your number two superhero? Just as a curiosity, what was Spider-Man, any of the movies, what would those have rated? Spider-Man 1 and 2 would have definitely probably been 5s, but uh, 3 would have been 3 or 2. Good, good. I would say the reason... We, we were something similar on those. Uh, and again, make sure you, you can listen to all of those Spider-Man reviews at uh, twoguystalking.com. That's the number twoguystalking.com. Click on the podcast button and go down to the Two Guys Talking 24 podcast. Inside of there is a link to all of our Spider-Man reviews. Yeah. i say the reason why I always give it a 5... And I say, like, to me, the fight scene was actually almost, to me, to the end of my edge of my seat, excitement. It's what I've been looking forward in a Hulk movie. And I guess that's why it was, it was to me, it was very exciting. I don't remember the last time I've been that excited when I was watching an action movie. Now, I was definitely taken in on the film. The film, the film got me. Even the detracting parts that we talked about were not enough to knock and tumble this onto its back for me. I thought this was a really good movie, and I think everybody should go and see it in the theater for sure. Uh, I think this is going to be a wonderful DVD and HD DVD, which, by the way, uh, we want to mention something about what is the... Blu-ray. Supposedly the Blu-ray version of the disc is going to have a great... a lot will have the extra deleted scenes. Now, I've heard up to 70 minutes, but you know how rumors are on the end. I'm trying to imagine. In, in yeah, where would you put 70, 70 minutes? minutes? I mean, that's, well, could, I that's amazing. Quadruple the yeah. fight scene and then have him sitting in the shack for a half hour watching a television show and <laughs> yeah. still not get 70 minutes. Well, there was, I do know that there was an entire, there have They'll been. showcase an entire yeah. episode of the previous television yeah. series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do know that they had scenes that they cut out of the movie totally. Supposedly there was going to be a quote unquote Captain America cameo in this. Originally, the movie was supposed to open up with him going to the North Pole, where he was going to attempt to commit suicide. They're doing a Frankenstein. Uh, I thing. saw that in the. I saw that in a book somewhere. What is? Yeah. Oh, I saw it in the. Uh, it's in the game. That scene is yeah. in the game where it's got and, him trudging in the North Pole and he's yeah. got a gun. And supposedly, and he uh, shoots himself, and the bullet bounces off. <laughs> and he wakes up because Hulk has a survival instinct and won't let him commit suicide. 
Very interesting. Another um, interesting yeah. piece. Yeah, but originally, they were going to, he was going to be walking past ice blocks, and there was going to be a shadow of somebody in the ice. And if you know from the 1960s comic books, Captain America was frozen in a block of ice after World War II. And as long as they don't show the frozen guy from the 70s Captain America show with the shield motorcycle, <laughs> I'm fine. I, I, I can handle that. And as long as they keep it vague, because I don't want to see what Captain America looks like well, since they before... Haven't, yeah, since right, they haven't they cast have, him yet. No, it would probably just be... A shadow. A shadow. With a shield. By the way... Eagle oh. wings coming off his head. Yeah. So, the, um, <laughs> so there are some whole scenes that they were have been deleted. So there are some that may not be just filling in expanding scenes, but there are entire scenes that were removed from the movie. Uh, very interesting. And I do look forward to those things. In fact, uh, I'm pretty sure that Tony's going to have the expense of incurring a Blu-ray player by the time this comes out on DVD. So we'll be able to watch over Tony's house on the <laughs> Blu-ray player. That's In good. any case, an excellent movie. Again, thanks to my guests here, Tony Lovasco, who is my guest host from the Terminator podcast. Tony, thanks for coming in. And, of course, Kip Lewis. He is, again, from the Television Review Blogs over at the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network as one of the Caption Hunt writers. Again, Kip, thanks for coming in. Thank you for Super me. comic book fan. I think we might have him on for some more comic book movies, too. It's just it's too cool to take advantage of the knowledge that clearly Tony and I don't have when we talk about comic book movies. So until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm Tony Lavasco, host number two. And I'm Kip Lewis, guest host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Two Guys Talking Show. We hope you'll tell your friends and co-workers about us, and don't forget to put us on your podcast list. As always, you can visit and contact us online at twoguystalking.com. That's the number, twoguystalking.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. <laughs>